0: Philippians 3 has a wonderful little passage, just a few verses long, about the resurrection. And that's what we're going to read and study this morning. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ... More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that we, speaking to Christians, people who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most to be pitied if there is no resurrection of the dead. If there's no resurrection, then what in the world are we doing here? Not just because it's Easter, but I mean, why would we ever bother to gather in the first place if there's no resurrection? Because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus was not raised. And if Jesus was not raised, our hope is in vain. Our hope is vain. In other words, our hope is empty. Our hope is pointless. We don't have any real hope. We have false hope. Unless Jesus Christ was raised. In which case, our hope has an absolute guarantee. Because our hope is that we will be united with God in his kingdom forever and ever. And in order for that to happen he has to have the ability to accomplish it. And the proof that he has the ability to accomplish it is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Paul's emphasis in 1 Corinthians 15 is that negative kind of, hey, what would be the point? This would be, Silly hope. This would be pointless hope. This would be empty hope. We would be stupid, silly people if we were hoping in something that can't happen, right? This passage that we read just now in Philippians 3, 7-11, is kind of the flip side of that same coin. Instead of focusing on how pointless our hope would be, if Jesus can't be raised, he flips it around, and he, again, the Apostle Paul <clears throat> is explaining the benefit of Christ's resurrection. So on the 1 Corinthians 15, you' got the negative side of it, if it was false. On, on, in our passage, we have the positive side of it. Because he was raised, therefore we have all of these good things, so the benefits. In verse 10, he speaks of the power of Christ's resurrection. So what it is that is accomplished by Christ's resurrection. So what are the benefits? What is the power of Christ's resurrection? Okay, there's several in here. So not a three-point sermon, sorry. You're going to have to make do with six or seven, depending on how you count. Do you skip five or not? No, okay. What are the benefits? What are the powers of Christ's resurrection? The first one that I want us to see is that he says, we can know him. We can know him. Christ was raised, and therefore, we can know him. Now, I want you to think about this practically, all right? If Christ was not raised, then he would be dead still, and there would be no way for us to know him, because we can't know people who are dead, right? That's how practical Paul is in 1 Corinthians, and it's clear that that applies here as well. It's just really simple. You can't know people who are dead. But we can know him because he was raised, because there is resurrection. Now, we all like to know important people, right? Maybe maybe some of you haven't experienced the... Uh, the joy of feeling important yourself because you know somebody important it's very uh, it's very natural it's also generally pretty silly but it 's why name dropping exists right? Have you guys ever uh, experienced someone talking to you about all the people they know that and it just instead of raising them in your estimation it just lowers and lowers and lowers them in your estimation because Nobody likes a name-dropper, right? Kids, do you know what name-dropping is? No? Okay. So name-dropping is when you talk about somebody that's important that you know, and you just keep mentioning the people you know that you think will impress others. Oh, Oh, he knows the headmaster. Oh, he knows the governor. Oh, she's met the first lady. Oh, and, and it, it can be impressive when somebody knows important people, right? But when you name drop, that's being proud about the people you know which being proud of the people you know is kind of like um, being proud of the fact that God made you pretty. I mean, it's easy to do, but really, God's the one who made you pretty. There's nothing for you to be proud about, right? Being proud of the people you know all you're, all you're saying is, well, those are important people. It, it's, it's no reflection on you. They, they're the ones who are important, not you. But there's a reason why we do it. <clears throat> Something about being associated with with an important person rubs off on us right here's <clears throat> here's the benefit the benefit of Christ's resurrection is that we can know him not so that we can name drop Oh yeah, I was talking to Jesus the other day and he said, the first shall be last. Not so we can name drop, but so that we can glorify him. You see, the difference between name dropping and what we get to do because we know Christ is Name-dropping is all about raising yourself up. But when we know Christ, we glorify Him, and He raises us up. If you know Him, you know what He will do for you. And that's a joy. Because you know Him. How many of you have somebody, uh, some, some person in history that y- you would love to know? Maybe you've read a biography of them and you're just like, wow, I, that person really struck me. I wish I could just sit down with them and ask them questions and learn from them. They just seem like, like the kind of person I'd love. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not someone you admire, but just somebody who was amazing. I don't think we really have all that much admiration for uh, Genghis Khan, but like, it'd be interesting to know him, right? Get to know him. Or, or some of the great conquerors. How many of you have somebody that, a person in history that you would have liked to have known? Here's the thing. You can't except for Jesus. And the reason is because he's alive. He is alive. Who do you know? Think of all the people you know. Some of us know a lot of people. Some of us just know a few people. But all the people you know Who's the most important person you know? If you know Jesus Christ, he's the most important person you know. Because he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So to know him, that's a benefit. To know someone who is more faithful than your own brother. To know him is to know God. To know him is to know God. So think into the Old Testament, and you remember that uh, Moses got to speak with God, right? When Jesus came, we all get to speak with God. We get to know him. In a new way. Because he is the image of the creator. Colossians tries to lay out this, this glory for us. That he is the image of the invisible God. The image is something you see. The invisible God is someone you don't see. But Jesus is here and you can see him. And you can talk to him. Now, now some of you are saying, "But yeah, but he's not. He's not. So, you know. This whole thing kind of falls apart, Pastor, because he doesn't talk back to me the way that God spoke with Moses. Yeah, sure, the disciples got to talk with him face to face, but, but here's, here's the reality. We will one day, face to face, speak with him. but that does not mean you cannot know him right now he sent his holy spirit we have not been left alone when he remember he says to mary i have not ascended to my father and your father then he ascended But he sent his Holy Spirit, and so we can know him, and we can speak to him. And the the veil has been torn in the temple that separated us from God. Our sin separated us from God, and then God's glory said, keep out. But when Christ died, the the veil was torn in two because God said, the sin is atoned for. And so now, we can come into his presence and we can speak boldly, with great confidence and great joy, because we know Jesus. So that's the first benefit of Christ's resurrection, is that we can know him. We can know him. But not only can we know him, we can have him. We can have Jesus Christ. So verse 8, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. There's knowing him, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. He wants to have Christ. Have any of you in here, I don't think any of you in here have ever had a supercar? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody in here has ever had a supercar. How many of you would like to have a supercar? All the boys have to raise their hands. You know, okay. How many of you have ever had a ride in a supercar? Anybody? A few people have. Okay. All right. I, I, I have never had a ride in a supercar. I have gotten to drive a very nice sports car. I almost wrecked it. Whoa. A lot more power in that car than any other car I've ever driven. But I have not had a very nice sports car even. See, to have something changes a lot, doesn't it? To have a ride is one thing. To have a drive is one thing. To own, to have... It is something very different to have it means that it is yours it is Jesus Christ you can have him you can have him and to have him is to have what he has now the analogy of a car can only go so far right That was not meant to be a joke. But I want you to think about if you have a very powerful car, you have what it has, don't you? Its power is at your disposal. Its speed is yours to control. Now I don't mean that you can control Jesus, obviously, Right? But I want, you to, I want you to think about what it means to have him. Whatever he has is yours if you have him. What does Jesus have? What does Jesus have that you might want? Can you think of anything that he has? What about... What about righteousness? Do you want Jesus' righteousness? That's one of the things that Paul speaks of in this passage. We'll get to verse 9, being found in him, which is kind of the flip side of having him, being in him as the next benefit. But not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ. Righteousness. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Righteousness. If you gain Christ, you gain his righteousness. If you gain Christ, if you have Christ... And again, you can only have him because he's alive. If you have Christ, what do you have? You have a king. You have a king who has power over life and death. If you have Christ, you have his righteousness. If you have Christ, you have a shield, a protector. See, because that's what he is. And so if you have him, that's what you have. To have him is to have peace. To have him is to have truth. Do we care whether we have truth? Whether what we believe is real? If we have him, we have truth. We own it, it's ours. And if we have him, then we are in him. That's that next benefit starting in verse 9. We may be found in him. Have you ever been curious about uh, exclusive clubs or secret societies? You know, you're part of that, that rarefied, high up very small group, that privileged few, that has made it in, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of different clubs, some formal, some some informal. You know, there's the Billionaires Club. There's no uh, there's no application for that one. Either you're a billionaire or you're not. Right? You get a billion dollars, you're in the club. I haven't made it there yet. Maybe next year. But when you're in a club, when you're in, a, when you're in one of those societies, you get the benefits of that society, don't you? Clubs have certain benefits. Okay so if we are in Christ there is certain benefits to being in Christ one of those benefits is rest that's kind of a unique benefit isn't it rest How many of us wish for rest? Yeah. We rest in Christ. Only because we are in Him can we have true rest. Now, this sermon could go on and on at every one of these benefits, right? Every one of them could be a, a multi-part sermon. Talking about what it means to be in Christ really deserves at least a three- or four-part sermon itself. To have him, I mean, I'd, I'd probably go six on that one. I'm trying to keep this short enough that we can eat lunch together. But to be in him is to have rest. To be in Christ is to be enclosed in that exclusive group. There are people who are in Christ and then everybody else who is not in Christ. Which club do you want to be a part of? In Christ comes with benefits. Now, we're talking about the benefits of his resurrection. The, the benefit is to be in Christ, right? But then who cares? we got to see what the impact is. we got to see what the consequences of being in Christ are. And I, I start with rest because it's kind of shocking. It's kind of weird. It's not the normal benefit you think of when you think of being a part of something special. Right? Normally being in means a lot of doing. Congratulations, you made it. Sit down. Rest. Have peace. To be in Him is to... Be named and painted with the same brush. Right? To be in Christ is why we can call ourselves Christians. Because we're in Him. And so to be in Christ means think think of being enclosed. Your identity. So this is part of of why I brought up clubs, because your identity becomes part of that club, right? If that club is known as snide and rude and aggressive, and then you let it slip that you're part of that club, everybody knows what you are, right? You don't want to be a part of that club. But if you're in Jesus, then what are you that the world is like, oh, yeah. Well, my last sermon, if you were able to be here for it, on Monday Thursday was You're loving. To be in Christ means love. Here's another thing to be in Him means to be His. If He, if having Him is one of the benefits, And being in him is another one of the benefits. That means he has us. He rose and so we have him. He rose and so he still has us. That's not a benefit for him, you understand. It's a benefit for us. Now, the truth is, it is a benefit for him. And this is where it's crazy because... Who would want us? I mean, it's kind of weird that God would want us, right? When we're sinners, we're constantly tempted and falling into sin, and, and yet, He loved us. And so, When the Father sent the Son, it was for a purpose. It was to save a people for himself because he loved us. He wanted us. And so it is a benefit, a crazy benefit, a weird benefit to us from our perspective. It seems like all of the benefit accrues to us for him to have us, right? And it's true. It is all the benefit is to us. But when the Father sent the Son, it was so that the Son could have his people that he wanted. It's just, just, he wanted. And he gets what he wants. His people. And so we are in him. And that's glorious. He gets to have us because he did the work of saving us. But if he had just died, he wouldn't get to have us, would he? It's because he rose. That he gets to have us. Now. Again, we could dwell on the mystery of why in the world he wanted us in the first place. But from our perspective. Who cares? It's just great. He wanted us. He wanted us and so. We're his. We get to be in him. We are his. Now, another thing about being in him is that that means that we're the same as he is. Now, are you the same as Christ? I wish, right? How great would that be if we were all like Christ? But wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is what Paul is saying. One of the benefits is we are in him. If you are in him, you are like him. You need to you need to believe and not just dismiss, well, you know, I know I'm not like Christ and so I guess Paul might be slightly confused, or maybe it's just Pastor Bailey, but no. To be in Christ is to be the same as he is. And Paul, in in the book of Romans, he explains this, this problem, this tension of we are... In Christ, we are a new creation, and yet the old man remains, right? And, and so, ah, we, we do the thing we don't want to do. How is that even possible? Why would you do the thing you don't want to do and not do the thing you do want to do? But see, that can only be said of Christians. Non-Christians always do the thing they want to do and don't do the thing they don't want to do. Christians are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, because that means we are like Him, therefore our heart has been changed. We have a new life in us. We're in Him. And so now all of a sudden, it's different for us. The old man has not yet been mortified, has not been put to death completely. Nevertheless, we have been given a new heart because we are in him. And so what remains is this this difficult work of mortifying. To mortify means to put to death, to kill, to slaughter. What remains of those old and wicked desires, right? Right? And this leads us to the next benefit. That we can receive his righteousness. We can receive his righteousness. So, like I said, if, if we are in him, that means to be the same as him. And he is righteous. And that's where we looked around and we're like, no, nah, I don't know about that. Because I, well, forget everybody else. Just, just look at me. I know I'm not. Righteous. I may be found in him, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Oh, right. You don't keep the law, do you? It's not your righteousness alone. It's only because you're in Christ that you have righteousness. It's not a righteousness of your own derived from the law but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, as as if you might have missed it the first time. And so, are you righteous? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, the answer is, I am righteous. Not because I have kept the law, but because... I believe in Jesus Christ. I am righteous. I have his righteousness. By faith. It has been credited to our account. This is the second part of double imputation. The first part was when Christ took our sins on himself at the cross. The second part was when he gave us his righteousness. It's been credited to our account. And so you don't say, I am righteous because I have kept the law. You say, I am righteous because Jesus kept the law. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus is righteous because Jesus kept the law. Yeah, but he gave me his righteousness. Can you do that? Is that allowed? It's his righteousness. He can give it to whoever he wants. Whoever he wants. You can have it. You can have his righteousness. Wouldn't that be great? To be viewed as perfect and holy and clean in the eyes of God, our creator. To be perfect. As our heavenly father requires of us and as he is. To be perfect. We talk about justification By grace, it's a gift from God. By faith, not by works, right? But to be justified is literally to be righteous. Can you fathom you righteous? This is one of the benefits that we get. Because he rose. clean, holy, perfect, unmarred, healed, righteous, fully, totally, and completely. These are not robes that don't fit, that you wear uncomfortably, you know, like, David putting on Saul's armor, he, he gets it all on and he looks like he's a warrior, right? He's like, wait a minute. No, this isn't me. He takes it all off. This is not what we do with Christ's righteousness. We are dressed in his robes of righteousness, right? And we get to put them on and they just fit. They're ours. They're perfect. They don't come off. And you're not going to dirty them up from the inside and then have to go wash them. They're always clean. And you're always wearing them. And if you're not wearing them, you'll be cast out of the party. Out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's essential. This benefit is essential. You must have his righteousness. And if you have his righteousness by faith, and then as the Apostle Paul reminds us, by faith, then what? that I may know the power of his resurrection. Verse 10. And that's what I've been preaching on. What is the power of his resurrection? I want you to know these things. Right? And then verse 11. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And if you look at the uh, footnote on that verse, <clears throat> verse 11. All right. Um, It'll say literally at the beginning of that verse, if somehow, if somehow. No, the translators conveniently removed that from us so that we wouldn't be confused. All right. If somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Because, you know, it doesn't quite sound as comforting when it says if somehow, right? the whole point it says if somehow is because it wants you to dwell on the miraculous nature of this beautiful thing the resurrection of Christ and the power that allows us also to what attain to that same resurrection from the dead if somehow it's just as it's it's just as miraculous as if Somehow, we receive righteousness. His. Not ours. His. It's not because Paul isn't quite sure whether it's possible to attain the resurrection of the dead. He knows because he knows the power of Christ's resurrection. If we persevere by faith, then we can and will be raised ourselves. And so this is the final benefit. This is the final power of the resurrection that Paul talks about here. That we may attain to the resurrection. That we may attain to the resurrection ourselves. Miracle of miracles, eternal life. What a glorious promise. Resurrection. That death won't be the end of you, it'll be the beginning. Of a new you. Finally, completely made whole. Finally, all the rest of what remains to be done, done. Finally, when you die, that sinful man that remains, that won't be raised. You will be raised. New. You'll be raised new. None of the effects of sin, none of the mourning, none of the sickness and sorrow. Resurrection. And so we sang earlier, soar, soar we now, or now we soar, right, like a bird. Now we soar where Christ has led. Think about that. He's raised us up on eagle's wings. Now we soar where Christ has led. How? Made like him, like him we rise. Where has he led? He has led into resurrection. And we follow him there. Made like him, like him, we rise. And so, the end of that verse might be just as confusing to you as the stuff that I skipped over in this passage. The end of the verse of that song is ours, the cross, the grave, the skies. Now, we've just been through Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, and so, you know, the cross and the grave, yeah, we we get it. All right, yeah, those go together with Easter. They come first, then comes Easter. and So, yeah, you might not think about it, but this song is trying to instill in us this idea that it's great and grand and glorious for for us to have the cross, the grave. And so, I've gotten done speaking of the benefits or the power of Christ's resurrection. What you get because Christ rose. But what does it require? Well, we've already said that it requires faith, right? You do have to believe, including the realization that if we have Christ, all the other things are dung or rubbish. One time in a sermon I even said what that word should actually be translated as. Faith, looking at Jesus and seeing what he actually is, causes everything else to pale. The clearer you see these promises, the clearer you understand them, the more by faith you take hold of them, the paler this world becomes, the less real it becomes. The more it's take it or leave it. The more you end up being able, like Paul, to say, I don't know, you know, which one I would choose to live is Christ. I mean, to, to what does he say? Now I confuse myself. <clears throat> to live is Christ, to die is gain. How could it be gain? How could it be gain? This is faith speaking, isn't it? This is why, when in that same passage, Paul is saying, well, For your sake, I would prefer to live. Not for his sake, for the sake of everybody else. Why? What's his goal? His goal is that they would all begin to see the world like he sees the world dung, refuse, rubbish. Give it all up because it's not worth it. Anything compared to having Christ. See, you can't have all these benefits. You can't know Christ. You can't have Him. You can't be in Him. You can't receive His righteousness or attain to the resurrection of the dead unless you actually think those things are worth having at any cost. And that nothing else compares. That's faith. Faith says, I see all this world. I see all the good things in it that God has made. All the things that I love. All the things that I delight in. The sunrises, the sunsets, the stars, the trees, the grass, the people I love. I see it all. it's all it's all rubbish and that's why we might not want to have the resurrected Christ because here in Philippians Paul talks about what it will take you will be conformed to his death And it was, I, I didn't know whether to put this under the category of if I should just keep listing these things as the benefits. It doesn't sound like a benefit, so I separated it out as a reason you might not want to, right? But the fact is, it's integrally connected. You, you can't separate out all the benefits from this, being conformed to his death. What does that mean? That's the end of verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Let's add that one to the list. Knowing the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. Let's talk about being conformed to his death first. 2 Timothy 2.11 says, again, this is, in a, this is in a little song, seemingly, that, that uh, the Apostle Paul is quoting. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we died with him, we will also live with him, which means it's conditional. Live with him is the resurrect, attaining to the resurrection, right? This is one of the last benefits we were talking about, all right? If we live with him, something has to have come first. We have to have died with him. If we died with him, we will also live with him. It is conditional. We have to have been conformed to his death prior to there being a resurrection. For most people, unless Christ comes first, there is literal death, right? But all who are saved, even those who are alive when Christ returns, must be conformed to his death. What does that mean? Well, there's two aspects of it. <clears throat> the first is killing the inner man. We've talked a little bit about it already. Being conformed to his death means dying to sin, right? If we've been conformed, it means we've been made like him in his death. What was his death? His death was the end of sin. His death was the end. The finishing of it. And so for us to be conformed to his death is to be done with sin, to be finished with it. This is part of why baptism has the going down and The coming up, we are united with Christ in His death, and the coming up is the resurrection. We are seeing in in a a picture form, right? We are seeing death and resurrection. We're saying, "Yeah, I'm in His death, and I'm in His resurrection." But the other element of this flows into the fellowship with his sufferings. Okay, To be conformed to his death connects with fellowshipping with him in his sufferings. And so having faith, to put it simply, means suffering in this life for a, for a variety of reasons. Okay. One of them is because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so his sufferings were at the hands of wicked men. And here in this world we are never free from the hands of wicked men. And so we become conformed to his death by joining with him in his sufferings. There are ways to avoid being conformed to his death. You remember that the apostles all ran away when his death started coming. They were in the garden. They didn't want to be conformed to his death. So they all ran away. Well, not all of them, right? Remember Peter? Good old Peter. Peter said, I'll never leave. And then Jesus got arrested. And you know what? He made it further than I would have, I think. He went into the very garden, the the very courtyard, warming himself by the fire, waiting to see what would happen to Jesus. And then he lost his nerve, didn't he? He didn't want to be conformed. He didn't want to join with Christ in his sufferings. And so, you're with him, aren't you? No, I'm not part of that club. No, I don't have Jesus. I don't know Jesus. No, I'm not in him. You see? The temptation is to reject the benefits of his resurrection because we don't want the costs in this life. And all of that is faithless, right? All of that is to view this life as the thing where it's at. The pleasures of here and now. I want to have life and have it abundantly. In this life? By rejecting the life to come? By rejecting Jesus Christ? No, that's where life and abundantly is received. So you can... You can reject Him. You can run away. You can deny Him. But then you will not receive the benefits. What a loss. How could you stand to lose Christ's righteousness? How could you stand to no longer be in Him? How could you stand... To not be his. To not have him. Here they are. All the benefits. The power of his resurrection is there for you. That's what we're celebrating this morning. Will you receive it by faith? Or will you reject it for the empty Fake shell of this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious, glorious gift you have given to your people. Your Son, sent to die, and not just to die but to be raised. And Father, in his resurrection, we have so many good gifts from you. Father, may we receive them by faith. We ask in Christ's name, amen.